Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the seventh chapter of John's Gospel. John chapter 7. As we continue in this study of this great gospel, moving through it section by section and coming today still at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus has gone up somewhat secretively, not in public, not in a public announcement by any means, although he has done some teaching, begun teaching there a bit, and the the people are hearing him, and and they began asking some questions that you'll hear come out in this passage this morning. But but the whole thing is he's, he's preparing the way very slowly, very carefully for what is yet to come. And he's talking about the truth that is yet to be seen in who he is and where he is from. And there's just some interesting statements that are made here. Matter of fact, I want you to pay attention particularly to three questions that are asked. You know, a lot of times we read these passages like this and there are questions involved and we just kind of zip across them as though they were just sort of narrative in the text. But these three questions that are asked, two by unbelievers, one by believers, those who really believed he was who he said he was, show great insight and, and clear understanding uh, to some of the most important factors of his ministry and his life and why he has come. And so I want you to see those very carefully. I want you to see how they show the absolute arrogance of those who won't even consider who he is and how they even twist the truth just a little bit in order to try to make their point. So all of that you can be watching for as we come to this. Follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 25 of chapter 7 of John's Gospel. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Now you remember last week, there was a uh, statement, Jesus said, you, I did one deed and you want to kill me. And the, the, people said, uh, the leader said, You have a demon, who's wanting to kill you? And yet the people noticed that and they said, Is this not the one that they're wanting to kill? Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he is speaking publicly. And they say nothing. They are saying nothing to him. And then this question. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, the Messiah, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. And Jesus cried out in the temple teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from. And I, have not, and I have not come of, my own, of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd, believing in him, and they were saying, When the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, about Jesus. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, for a little while longer I am with you, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me, for where I am, you cannot come. Now watch the pondering of the leaders there. The Jews then said to one another, where is this man going? 
Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said? You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, this Christmas season, as we come to your word this morning at the Feast of Tabernacles, a time when the Jews were celebrating their delivery in and through the wilderness. Father, may we see our own lives rescued from wilderness wanderings. May we see our own lives rescued by the grace of God in Jesus Christ this season, that you might be glorified and we might be strengthened. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Three, if it thunders at a specific point this morning. If you were here a few months ago, you'll remember that. Three questions that are being asked. The first one is this. As Jesus is beginning to teach there in the temple, and and the, the people are talking and they listen, they said, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Jesus has already stirred up an enormous amount of of problems for the Jewish leaders. They have saw him heal people on the Sabbath, even though they do work on the Sabbath of circumcision and other things, and and he's challenged them on the hypocrisy of that. They saw him do, do works of mercy and works of good on the Sabbath, cause a man to get up and walk that had not been able to walk in over 30 years. That they've seen him teach about the truth of Moses' law, but how it's being fulfilled now in their hearing, being fulfilled in, in him, that he didn't come to destroy the law, he came to, he came to fulfill the law, and yet in their eyes, they're, say, they're seeing him as saying, you don't believe in the law of Moses, you don't believe Moses is from God, you don't believe what Moses had to say, and Jesus looks at him and says, you know what, you don't either. You have the law of Moses, you know what Moses said, and you don't do what he says. And yet you condemn me because I don't do what he says? Well, this is a, this is a, a real quandary we find ourselves in. And so the, the, the people, the leaders of the people, really did want to kill him. They wanted to put him to death. They said, we've got to get rid of this rabble rouser. We've got to get rid of this one that's causing us so much trouble. And the people knew that. When Jesus said to the authorities, you are seeking to kill me, they accused him of having a demon and said, why, who is trying to kill you? You're filled with a demon. You don't know what you're talking about. And yet the people come back just a few verses later and they ponder this question, is this not the one that the leaders are trying to put to death? Is this not the one that they're trying to get rid of? Jesus, as the truth, always causes discomfort for those who do not want to live by the truth. I want you to understand that. Because that's where these Jewish leaders were. They wanted to be religious. They wanted to go through all the motions of religion. But they were not interested in knowing the truth of God. They were not interested in any idea of Messiah having come in their day. They knew what their preconceived ideas of Messiah were. And they said, we're looking for the one who's going to come and drive these Romans out of Jerusalem. Are you ready to do that? And when he wasn't ready to do that, they were not interested in what he had to say. But he was sure causing them a lot of discomfort in their own religiosity, in their own churchianity, because he spoke the truth of Almighty God. And so they were trying to kill him, and the people recognized this. And so the people said, is this not the one whom they are trying to kill? But then they pondered a bit further, a second question. 
If you notice in verse 26, look, he's speaking publicly. He's out in the open. He's not hiding from anybody. And, and the, the, these leaders who are, who've been talking about putting him to death, they're not even approaching him. They're not saying anything to him. They're letting him teach. They're letting him do his thing. And, and, and yet they say they want to kill him, but they're not approaching him. And then they wonder, could it be? Could it be somehow that the rulers know that this really is the Christ? Could it be that they know something that we don't know yet, and yet they're trying to hide that from us because they don't want us to recognize him as Messiah, him as Christ? Could it be that the rulers know who he is, and yet they just will not acknowledge it out of their own arrogance and their own pride and their own stubbornness and hard-heartedness? That's the implication of what is being asked here. And, and then they began to ponder a little further. They said, well, we, we know where this man's from. He, he's, he's from. he was born in Bethlehem. He, he was raised in Nazareth. We know he's, where he's from. But when the Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, we're not going to know where he's from. Now, think about that for a minute. These people have been taught in the synagogues and taught in the temple, and these people have been taught by the religious leaders of that day about the Messiah coming. And no doubt they had been taught that there was prophecy related to his coming, and that prophecy very clearly said that he would be born in Bethlehem. These people are being very disingenuous in saying, well, we know where he came from, and you know, he came to that little town of Bethlehem, and he came from, they raised up in Nazareth, and what good can come out of Nazareth? And they had all these, these arguments against why Jesus could be the Messiah based on where he was from. And, and we know when Messiah comes, he's just going to go poof on the scene. He's going to be here. We're not going to have any idea where he came from. And that's not true. The prophecies are abundant. Go to all the Old Testament prophets, both major and minor, and most of them give us some clue to the coming of Messiah. Most of, us give us some, most of them give us some clue as to the coming of, the, of the, first, the first coming of Christ, the coming in the manger, born in Bethlehem, raised up, born of a virgin. All these things were prophesied clearly. I, I, I don't have time to go into the whole detail of all the prophecies. There are thousands of them. Thousands of Old Testament prophecies that find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ alone. Find their fulfillment in Christ. Now, it's not like Christ in his later life could have said, you know, let me see if I can't, let me see if I can't construct something here so it looks like I've been prophesied to be coming. No, he had no, he had no hand in where he was born, did he? Hey, he had, there was no way he could determine, well, I'll be born in Bethlehem because the prophet says I'll be, the, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. It just couldn't be done. Peter Stoner wrote a book years ago. I, I, I first read it when I was a freshman at the University of Alabama. Somebody gave it to me in, in some of my uh, less than uh, Christian days, some of my more agnostic type thinking days, just not really sure what was real and what was true. I had this book named Science Speaks. It's a little book about this thick. I don't know if it's even in print now or not. It may still be. But in that book, in one chapter, Peter Stoner says, let's look at the prophecies. And he started talking about all the prophecies. He's also a mathematician. And he said, all these prophecies that have been fulfilled in that baby in the manger and in the man Jesus Christ and all the things that took place, all the way to the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, all of those prophecies, if, they all, if you look at all the ones that come to bear on Christ, the probability of that just happening. Now, we live in a day that believes things just happen. Creation just happened. 
you know, and so, but he said, in the, just in taking the prophecies about the coming of Christ, if all of those prophecies were looked at mathematically, there would be one chance, this is even worse than the lottery, there'd be one chance out of 10 to the 170th power that they could all just happen to come together in one person. One chance out of 10 to the 170th power. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but I do understand. I can't tell you what the number is, but that is a 10 with 170 zeros after it. That's fairly, it's a fairly significant number, fairly big number. Stoner went on to illustrate it. He said, Here, here's the way you can get a picture of that, because if you're like me, you, that doesn't mean anything. And so Stoner said, Here, here's, a, here's a visual for that. If you were to take silver dollars, all the silver dollars that would be that number of silver dollars, 10 to the 170th power, and you were to take them and spread them out over the state of Texas, fairly large landmass in our country, spread it over the state of Texas, that number of silver dollars would, um, would equal, would cover the state in a, a stack of silver dollars six feet deep over my head, six feet deep. Now, if you picked up one of those silver dollars, put a big red X on it on both sides so you wouldn't miss it, and, and took the silver dollar and threw it as hard as you can, as far as you can, and, and then somehow had this giant mixer that you could mix all those silver dollars up in the state, over the state of Texas, and then you blindfold somebody, anybody, doesn't matter who it is, just blindfold Randy Adams. Teach us on the front. Glad you're there. So blindfold Randy Adams and say, okay, Randy, now start walking. You got the whole state of Texas. But at one point, I want you to say, stop. I'm stopping here. And I want you to reach down, still blindfolded, can't see anything. I want you to reach down and pick up one silver dollar. The chances of him picking up that silver dollar out of all of the silver dollars 10 to the 170th power, covering the state of Texas, six feet deep. The chances of him picking up that silver dollar are the same mathematical chances of all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that were made about the Messiah coming to bear upon this little baby in this manger, this man, Jesus. It's pretty phenomenal, would you say? Pretty astounding. Pretty unbelievable. Pretty mysterious. It's pretty glorious that, that God took such care to point through the Old Testament prophets to him who was coming. And yet these people say, oh, we don't know where the Messiah is coming from. Sure, they knew where the Messiah is coming from. And they knew that the place from where Jesus came is the exact place where the Messiah came from. Bethlehem and Nazareth. But Jesus said, that's insignificant. Bethlehem and Nazareth are not the important thing. I didn't come from there. You know, John is showing how Jesus throughout this whole passage here, in, especially in chapter 7, chapter 6 too to a bit, but he's showing over and over again how Jesus says, listen, I didn't just come from this earth. I'm not just one who came born in a manger, born of a woman. I, I came from my father. 
I came from heaven. I pre-existed before I was a baby. I'm the only baby that's ever been born that was pre-existent. I lived in eternity past. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, that is, that little baby in the manger. And apart from Him, there would not have been anything made that was made. Do you see that? That's the cosmic Christmas story that John tells at the beginning of this gospel that we looked at months ago. It's the cosmic Christmas story of the coming of Messiah from eternity past, entering the world in order to be the Redeemer. Jesus said in verse 28, he cried out in the temple teaching them and said, you know, you both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come from uh, of myself, but he who sent me is true, or he who sent me is truth, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he has sent me. She said, here's the problem. You want to, you want to pigeonhole me with, with Joseph. You want to pigeonhole me with Mary. You want to say, we know where you're from, and, and those are not very exciting places, especially in comparison to Jerusalem. You're from the sticks. You're from the outback. You're from the wilderness. We, 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 you can't be the Messiah. We know where you're from. He said, no, the thing is you don't get it. That's not where I'm from. I'm from him. I'm from the Father. The Father has sent me, and I know him, and you don't know him, and therein lies the problem. I, I want you to see here in these verses that there is an obstinate blindness of the unbelieving Jews. They are willfully and determinatively blind to what he has to say. They don't want to hear it. They close their eyes and they say, we know the religious truth. We know what religion is all about. We are the learned ones. We are the ones who, who have been taught by the great traditions. And, and that, yeah, last Sunday's passage, they said, where did you learn what you're saying? You haven't gone to school. You haven't got a degree. You haven't been taught by the rabbis. Where did you learn all this? And, and, and the truth is, he didn't have to learn it. He knows it because it's him. He knows the truth because he is the truth. He knows the teaching because he is the teaching. Everything I say, he says, comes from the Father. I don't say my own initiative. I say what he tells me to say, and I say it clearly. Jesus, I want you to understand it's not about where I lived in my childhood on this earth. It's about where I really came from and, and where I really call home. It's in the presence of the Father. And I know the Father. I know Him because I'm from Him. And He sent me into the world. And so they decided at that point it was time to seize Him. And said they, they decided that, that they were going to seize Him. They, they were seeking to seize Him. Listen, but no, one, no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Remember several weeks ago we talked about why Jesus didn't go up at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles with his brothers like they wanted him to? They said, come on and go with us and we'll go up there. You can do a miracle or two. You can, you can wow people. He said, no, my hour's not yet here. My time has not yet come. Well, here's that same concept. And even though he's gone into the Jerusalem, even though he's gone into the temple, even though he has been teaching the truth of, of his coming there in the temple, 
when the, the people got angry about it and wanted to stop him, John didn't go into detail about what happened here, but he said they sought to seize him. They sought to lay hands on him. They were ready to, they were ready to arrest him and do away with him, but they could not touch him because his hour had not yet come. Wow, you, you see here the obstinate blindness of the unbelieving Jews and their continuing denial of Christ's lordship and messiahship. But you also see here the overruling hand of God over all his enemies. You see the sovereignty of God over the situation. They wanted to stop him right then and right there, but his hour had not yet come, and, and John just simply says, because his hour had not yet come, they could lay no hand on him. It wasn't time yet. It wasn't Passover yet. Passover is about six months after the Feast of the Tabernacles. So the time is drawing near, the time is drawing close, but it's not yet there. And so God's protection of His anointed one, His overruling hand of power is over all of His enemies. And we find the unbelieving Jews just probably perplexed because they wanted to seize Him, they wanted to arrest Him, they wanted to do away with Him, but they could not. God was protecting Him. But many in the crowd believed in Him. There's a remnant there. Many in the crowd believed in him, and they were saying this. Here's the third question. They were saying, when the Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? It's, it's almost a rhetorical question, but it's a question that has an answer. And they know the answer, I think. When Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, can he do more than, than cause the lame to stand up and walk? Can he do more than change the water into wine? Can he do more than heal the nobleman's son from a distance? Can he do more than all of the uh, feeding 5,000 people? I mean, the signs are there. The signs are abundant. If, if there is Christ yet to come, if this is not him, can he do anything greater than this? And the answer is no, he can't being done right now. It's being done right here in our presence. We're seeing the manifestation of the power of God in His anointed one. We're seeing the manifestation of the power of God in the one who has come from Him by way of Bethlehem and Nazareth into Jerusalem. But He's the one who has come from the Father. His earthly home is not what's so important. It's, what, it's, it's where He came from ultimately. And he came from the Father. And so they, so they, they asked the question. You know, they're, they're, they're struggling, and they've got these unbelievers around them who are crying out, we want to seize him. We want to put him under arrest. We want to do away with him. And, and they say, if, if the Christ comes, what else could he do? If this is not him, then who? And the implication is clearly... This has got to be him. This has got to be the one. He is showing us so much of the truth of God. He is speaking as no man has ever spoken. He's speaking with authority as no one has ever spoken. This must be him. Therefore, Jesus said for a little while, 
A little while longer, I am going to be with you. Six months to be exact. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now the Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go? That we won't be able to find him. In other words, their, their first question there is, who does he think he is? We've got ways. We got ways of finding people. We got ways of finding out where people go. Where is he going? Is he going to go to the Greeks in the dispersion? Well, we may not go out there because those are unclean. We, we may not chase him out. We get him out there. That's fine. We'll just leave him out there. Is that where he's going to go? That we won't find. We won't go looking for him there. But who does he think he is? I'm about to go somewhere in a little while, and where I go, you can't find me. You won't be able to come to me because you can't come there. Then they answered, they asked again, what is the statement that he said, you will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Boy, are they spiritually blind. Boy, are they spiritually blind. Jesus is saying to them, there's coming a time when I will die at the Passover. When I'm crucified, when I hang on that cross with a purpose. And I'm going to leave there, and I'm going to ascend into heaven, and where I am, you can't come, is, is what he's saying. Now, he's a little coded with it, if you will. It's a little shadowy with it, if you will. But that's what he's saying. Here's what I really think he's saying. He's saying, right now, you can see me, you can hear me, and yet, you're rejecting me. I think he's saying that to you and me today, too, by the way. You can hear me now. You can hear my gospel message now. You can hear the truth of who I am now. And, and if you're sitting there like an obstinate Jewish leader and saying, yeah, but I'm waiting for something better. I'm expecting something more. Surely there's more than this, than a peasant preacher in Palestine 2,000 years ago, if you're obstinate in your own pride, in your own willful disbelief, I think Jesus is saying to you, listen, you know, there, I, I'm going somewhere, I am somewhere, and, and you can't come there. Where I am, you're going to seek me, and you're not going to be able to find me. You see, there, there's an interesting, I, I really think, let, let me just jump ahead and tell you what I really think he's talking about here. And, and, and you can just declare me a heretic if you want to later. But, but right now, I think he's talking about hell. I really think he's talking eschatologically here. I, I think he's saying here, there's going to come a time, and Paul tells us this in Philippians, there's going to come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, Paul's indication is in the eschatological picture, it's after it's too late. The coming of Christ, he's declared his glory, and everybody's going to fall on their face. They're going to say, he really is the Christ. He really is the Son of God. He really is the Lord, and it's going to be too late. They had time to hear. They heard the truth of the Messiah. They heard the truth of the gospel. They, they, they heard it presented to them. They heard it proclaimed. They, they discarded it. They obstinately said, I don't want to do that. I, I want to save myself. 
you know, I want to I do for me what I can do, and, and that'll just have to be good enough for God. And God's saying, you can't do anything for yourself. You can't save yourself. It's only by the blood of Christ. We sang about that in two different songs today, that he will win us by his blood, and, and it's by his blood that we are set free. But someday, there are going to be these religious leaders who obstinately refused Christ, and there are going to be people in Somerset, Kentucky, who obstinately refused the Lordship of Christ. They're going to be saying, man, I really want him now. I really want him now. I, I really want to go where he is. I really want to be where he is. And Jesus is saying, listen, that time comes and you will not find me. I think a part of the hell of hell is knowing that Jesus Christ really is Lord and knowing that you refused his offer of salvation and, and now you're left to wander for all of eternity in, in hell wondering, ugh, I can't find him. Nowhere to be found. Amen. <laughs> I've been waiting on that. I mean, do you, see, do you see the foolishness of rejecting Christ? Do you see the foolishness of just saying no to the one who presents himself as God incarnate, God in the flesh, who is either a, a liar or a lunatic or he is the Lord? I mean, the, the options are not great. As we said last week, he, you know, some of them want to say, well, he's really a good guy, he's really a good man. And that's not one of the options. Jesus said, for a little while, for just a little while longer, I'm with you. Then I will go back to him who sent me. And there will come a time when the proclaiming of the gospel will be closed. It may happen death of your death. It may happen with the coming of the Lord. But it will happen. And, and what you have done with Christ, what you have said about Christ, what you have believed about Him and believing in Him before that time is really all that matters. Let me ask you this morning. Are you going to go where He is? Do you know where he is? Are you going to be able to go there and seek him and be with him? Or are you going to wander around for all of eternity saying, man, I, I know he's the Messiah now, but I cannot find him. I'm looking in this blindness, in this, this darkness. I, I'm looking in this unbelievable place. Oh, yeah, I do believe hell is a place. And I can't find him. I really wish I could find him. It is so agonizing. It is so, so unfair. It's so punishing to me. I can't find him. It's because you were obstinate. You were prideful. You said, no, I'll take care of it myself. I'd be like a Ted Turner. I don't want anybody dying for me. I'll do it myself. Well, he did. He will. And he will pay the cost, the wages of his sin. I'm just grateful that 
as we're going to sing about in a minute, I'm just grateful that my sin has been paid for by one who brought forgiveness to my life because of it. Let me just ask you this this Christmas season. This Christmas season, would you just ponder who this baby really is? And don't stick in the manger. Don't stay in the manger. I let them put a manger scene up here. I don't like manger scenes. But I'm very easy to get along with. But the cross is behind this cradle. And the cross gives meaning to what happened in that manger. The cross is where we look for forgiveness. His sacrifice as our substitute is what avails. It's not knowing a sweet little Jesus boy in a manger. It's knowing the Lord. The Lord who lives, the Lord who reigns. Let's pray. Where are you this morning? In that picture there at the Feast of Tabernacles, are you like the Jewish leaders? Are you like some of the people who can't figure it out? Or are you like some of those who believed and said, listen, what more, could a, what more could someone do to show us he's the Messiah? This is it. This is him. Has to be. Because greater deeds could not be done. But it's not just enough to know that He is the Messiah, but you place your faith and your trust in Him by repentance and faith, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Father, speak to us as we sing this great hymn about your throne and about your sacrifice, about your love. Draw us closer to you, we who believe. Teach us, O Lord. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.